down under the table, kid. Head's under the table. Um, Tess is screaming. I'm looking to... Um... We've got help on the way, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Stay in the line with me. Oh, God. Do, to stay down. do we know where he's at? I'm sorry? Do we know where he's at? In 1999, two students, armed, invaded the school itself, attacking many of the older students. This action became known as one of the biggest school massacres in the United States. To this day, this case is used as a subject in discussions about school safety. Today's case, I will talk about the Columbine Massacre, and you will hear step by step what happened in there. Hello everyone, I hope you are doing alright. I'm Fabio Carvalho, and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. Today's case took place in Columbine, Colorado, in the United States on April 20, 1999 a high school massacre that shocked the world. To make it easier to understand the facts, I need to start by explaining who is responsible and how they planned everything until the fateful day actually arrived. Those responsible for the crimes are Eric David Harris, who was 18 at the time, and Dylan Bennett Klebold, 17. Eric was the son of Wayne Harris, retired from the United States Air Force, and Catherine N. Poole, homemaker. Eric was a very smart guy and always got good grades. He knew how to use words very well, which helped him to have a great mastery of persuasion. He did not have a close relationship with his family, but he was also not completely unsocial. It was something of a to-each-their-own relationship. Dylan was the son of Thomas and Susan Klebold. Both were pacifists attending a Lutheran church. Dylan and his older brother Byron attended confirmation classes in the Lutheran tradition. Eric and Dylan knew each other since childhood but were not close. They came to create a greater bond in their late teens at Columbine High School. At school, Eric and Dylan did not miss classes participated in regular activities such as theater, operated video cameras for recording presentations of students, and due to the ease they had in handling electronic equipment, they ended up becoming responsible for the preservation of the school's computer server. Despite the amount of activities that kept the boys busy and even known at the school, there is a possibility that they were bullied during the period they studied there. There are disagreements about the bullying that the boys suffered. Psychologists, book authors, and some reporters differ on this subject. Some say they had a sick mind and that what they wanted was just to make others suffer, while others say yes, that they were bullied 
and that this was the trigger for the massacre. Both of them had diaries where they verified their feelings, which often angry. Eric's diary has a lot of strange language, right from the first page, and it's possible to identify how resentful and superior he felt. These are some excerpts. Everyone is always making fun of me because of how I look, how fucking weak I am. Well, I will get you all back. The ultimate fucking revenge. I hate you people for leaving me out of so many fun things. And no, don't fuck say, well, that's your fault. Because it isn't. You people had my phone number and I asked, but no. No, 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 don't let the weird-looking Eric kid come along. Oh, fucking no. But, before I leave this worthless place, I will kill whoever I deem unfit for anything at all, especially life. And if you pissed me off in the past, you will die if I see you. Because you might be able to piss off others and have it eventually blow over, but not me. I don't forget people who wronged me. They will never get a chance to read this, because they will be dead by me before this is discovered. Eric's diary was full of hate speech, rants about society, and direct attacks on specific people he believed to have wronged him. Dylan's diary, on the other hand, was more depressing, with lots of sad and lonely words. And when he mentioned hatred, it was not quite as direct as Eric. Dylan, unlike Eric, was anxious and passionate. Eric drew swastikas in his diary, while Dylan drew hearts. Eric seemed to feel superior to everyone, as it's possible to see in another small excerpt of his diary, where he said, I feel like a god and I wish I was, having everyone been officially lower than me. But Dylan used his words in a perhaps poetic way. On his 60th birthday, he wrote, Me is a god, a god of sadness, exiled to this eternal hell. The people I helped abandoned me. I'm denied what I want, to love and to be happy, be made a human without the possibility of being human, the cruelest of all punishments. To some, I'm crazy. It's so clear, yet so foggy. Everything's connected, separated. I'm the only interpreter of this. I'd rather have nothing than be nothing. Some say godliness is not nothing. Humanity is the something I long for. I just want something I can never have. The story of my existence. Based on the content of both diaries, the contrast between them was quite large. Psychologists and other professionals that could analyze the diaries managed to draw a profile for each one. Eric, they believed, was a psychopath with hatred and desire for revenge, while Dylan was a person who was emotionally weak 
and in a deep depression. One of the most striking phrases in Dylan's diary was when he defined his life as the most miserable existence in history. Eric having a psychopathic mind and seeing Dylan as a person who was easily influenced, he managed to persuade Dylan and fed him a desire for revenge against Columbine's students. The boy's persuasiveness was so great that in January 1998 they were accused of breaking into and stealing electronic equipment from a van packed in the city. But they gave the cops such a good impression that the cops ended up giving an agreement to have the criminal record raised if they agreed to participate in a re-education program by performing community service. They behaved so well that the parole officer released them from the program months before the end date. Four months later, Eric delivered an apology letter to the owner of the van. In the letter, Eric regretted his actions, however, In a note in his diary, just days after the delivery of this letter, he wrote Isn't America supposed to be the land of the free? How come, if I'm free, I can't deprive a stupid fucking dumb shit from his possessions if he leaves them sitting in the front seat of his fucking van out in the plain sight and in the middle of fucking nowhere on a fry fucking day night. Natural selection. Fucker should be shot. Eric and Dylan organized the Columbine massacre for almost a year. Time was needed to buy weapons and ammunition, learn to make bombs, and so on. They even had a website where they posted videos of their bomb production and reported their feelings of hate. It all happened on April 20, 1999. Dylan woke up much earlier than usual and left. Dylan's mother knew that he had an exam that day, but she still found it strange that he left much earlier than usual and he didn't answer when she asked why he was going to school so early. Susan didn't know that it would be the last time she would see her son alive. Dylan was actually going to meet Eric in order to finish assembling the weapons they were going to use, in addition to programming some bombs that would be blown up by a timer. Their plan was to plant a bomb next to the fire station, two bombs in the school cafeteria and a bomb in each car. The cars were parked near the doors to the school exits. What was supposed to happen was The first bomb would explode near the fire station, which would keep them occupied while the other two bombs in the cafeteria exploded. As soon as the school bombs exploded, students would run out through the three exits. The two sides of the school, where the cars that were going to explode, and the main entrance, where the boys would be waiting outside with guns to shoot everyone who went out through the door. But... That was not exactly how it all happened. After they had planted all of the bombs at the designated locations, the first bomb, the one from the fire department that was scheduled to explode at 11.14 a.m., exploded, but it didn't go as expected. The fire was small and dominated by the firefighters in a few minutes. 
The cafeteria bombs were scheduled for 11.17 and the car bombs at midday. They weighed 9 kilos each and were made of propane. These times were chosen because 11 a.m. was the school break and practically all students would be going to the cafeteria to have their meals. Outside, Eric and Dylan noticed that some students would go out normally to sit on the grass or just to take a walk until the next class returned. And it was then that they realized that the cafeteria bombs did not explode. If the bombs had worked, they could have killed practically all 485 students who were there at the time, in addition to compromising the building structure. So, they decided to start a plan B, which would be no longer waiting for students to leave, but entering the school instead. On their way to the entrance, Eric passed a friend named Brooks Brown. Brooks asked why did he miss the exam that morning. Eric just replied something like, It doesn't matter anymore. I like you very much, Brooks. Go home. Brooks didn't understand anything, but he felt something strange, so he immediately obeyed and left. Ahead, Eric found two students sitting on the grass. They were... Rachel Scott and Richard Castaldo, both 17 years old. Rachel was shot four times and she died instantly. Richard took eight shots that hit the chest, abdomen and arm. He survived, but unfortunately, he became paraplegic. Heading towards the school, both saw three older students who had not yet realized what had happened. These three students were Daniel Robot and Sean Graves, 15 years old, and Lance Kirkling, 16 years old. Eric and Dylan shot all of them. Even though Daniel was injured, he tried to escape. Sean and Lance, even though seriously injured, survived, but Daniel didn't make it. At the time, some students who were close began to realize what was happening. Even before entering, the boys started shooting at the nearest people and ended up hitting two more students, Mark Taylor, 16 years old, and Michael Johnson, 15. Despite their serious condition, they both managed to survive. Inside, teacher Dave Sanders realized what was happening outside. He ran to the cafeteria to try to warn as many students as possible. From the canteen, they couldn't see what was really happening, but the students believed in the teacher. Some started to hide, others to run through the side exits. These exits would face the car bombs that also did not explode. It was these actions from Mr. Sanders that managed to save many students. If he hadn't had done that, the damage would have been even greater. At 25 a.m., police cars began to arrive outside. The shooters started firing shoots into the street at the police. At 11.27, after helping several students to hide, Dave met the shooters. He didn't say anything, just turned around and tried to run away. And once again, Eric and Dylan shot. Dave was hit in the back, falling and bleeding. After the boys left this corridor, Dave crawled into the nearest room to try to hide. 
a student named Arohansi, who was there and who had knowledge of first aid, tried to help him, and he realized that he was bleeding a lot. He then decided to write on a blackboard, one bleeding to death. Unfortunately, Dave Sanders passed away in that classroom. Another teacher, Patty Newson, also realized that something was going on. She and the 17-year-old student named Brian Anderson ended up going out to the west entrance to check on the disturbance. Before reaching it, they saw the shooters walking in the main corridor, who consequently noticed the presence of them on the other side of the door, through the glass. The boy's response was to shoot again. Patty and Brian were not hit by bullets, but were severely injured by broken glasses. Eric and Dylan kept walking. Pat returned to the library, where she warned another several students, asking them to hide and be quiet. She hid under the library's reception desk and used the phone to call 911. What you are going to hear now is an excerpt of her 911 call. The full audio is very long, but now you will hear only the beginning and the end of the call. Jefferson County 911. Yes, I am a teacher at Columbine High School. There is a student here with a gun. He has shot out a window. I believe one student shot. Um, yeah, shot, shot. Um, I've been Columbine High school. school. I don't know what's in my shoulder. If it was just a last one, too. What? Okay, has anybody been injured, ma'am? Yes. Okay. Yes. And the school is in a panic. And I'm in the library. I've got students down under the table, kids. Heads under the table. Um, kids are screaming. Some of the teachers um, are, you know, trying to take the holding. We need police here. We need okay, police. we're getting them there. Who is the student, ma'am? I do not know who the student is. Okay. I saw a student outside. I was in hold. Oh, dear God. Okay. I was on hold. Ready. I saw a gun. I said, what's going on out there? And he said, oh, it's probably for video protection. It's probably a joke. I said, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And I went walking outside. I can see See what was going on. Okay. He turned the gun straight at us and shot. And my God, the window went out. And the kid standing there with that's me, I think he got hit. Okay. something in my shoulder. Okay. We've got help on the way, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Stay in the line with me. Oh, God. Do we know where he's at? I'm sorry? Do we know where he's at? Okay. I'm in the library. He's upstairs. He's right outside of here. He's outside? He's outside of this hall. Outside of the hall? Outside of the hall. Okay. There are alarms and things going off now. Smoke. My God, smoke is like coming into this room. Okay. Okay. I've got the kids under the table here. I don't know what's happening in the rest okay. of the building. Okay. Most of them are smoking the I don't know. I'm sure someone has to be calling 911. Yes. We've got a lot of people on. Okay. I just want you to stay in the line with me. We need to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. I am on the floor. Okay. You've okay. got the kids in the there. Library. And I've got every student in this library on the floor. You better stay on the floor. Is there any way you can lock the doors? Um, smoke is coming in from out there. And I'm a little okay. Afraid. The gun is right outside the library door. Okay. I don't think I'm going to go out there. Okay. You're okay. calling my high school. I got, I got three children. Okay. We got it. Okay. Um, I'm yeah. not going to go to the door to shut the, the door. Okay. I've got the kids on the floor. Um, I got all the kids in the library on the We have paramedics, we have fire, and we have police on route, okay, sir? Okay. Okay. Yes. This, I mean, he's, I, I don't know, it, I can't believe he's not out of the work. He just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting. Okay, yeah, we've got a police officer on scene. I thought it was... Okay, just try and keep the kids in the library calm. 
Yeah. Is there any way you can block the door so no one can get in? I do, I do not. Okay. I, yeah, I guess I can try to go, but I mean, I can right outside that door. I'm afraid to go to the door. That's okay. That's where he is. I'm not okay. afraid to go there. Okay. That's okay. Okay, I told the kids to get on the floor. I told them to get under the table. All of the children are on the floor under the table. Yeah. Oh, my God, that was really close. That just rattled me. Okay. What's your name, ma'am? Patty? At 11.29, the most frightening part of this massacre began. Eric and Dylan arrived to the library and found more than 50 people there, including students and school staff. Eric got up on off the tables and shouted, ordering to everyone to get up, but nobody obeyed. So Dylan, laughing, started shooting everybody in there. <laughs> then Eric started shooting towards the tables and hit student even Toddy first. He was only lightly injured. Dylan shot three more students, Mickey Hall, Daniel Stephenson, and Patrick Island, who fortunately didn't die, but were also injured. Eric was walking and pulled out a student who was hiding and shot him. Stephen Colonel, 14, was hit in the neck and died on the spot. Beneath one of the tables, a girl, Cassie Bernal, was praying. Dylan listened to the girl's prayer and he asked if she believes in God. She said yes, and so he shot her in the head, killing her on the spot. Dylan then shot 18-year-old Isaiah Shawls, also killing her on the spot. He returned to shoot the three students he had hit earlier, but this time he pointed the gun to Patrick, who was seriously injured. Dylan didn't stop there and kept walking and shooting, this time hitting Matthew Catcher, 16, who also died on the spot. Eric and Dylan started shouting at everyone, say things like, you are going to die and you guys deserve it for making us suffer all these years. Now, Eric hit Nicole and John. John tried to defend himself by throwing one of the library chairs. Dylan ran toward him and hit him again, also killing him on the spot. Three more students were hit by Dylan. Lisa Kruntz and Valens Snur, 18, and Mark Keating, 17. After shooting them, Dylan realized that behind one of the tables was the head of another student and, without saying anything, he shot, killing the girl on the spot. The student was 18 years old, Lauren Towsend. At this point, several witnesses say they heard Eric and Dylan comment that they couldn't no longer feel the adrenaline when shooting at their victims and they were talking about maybe start stabbing people because it should be more fun. Another student was found by them, John Savage, who was a friend of Dylan. They never had any problems and were close. John was between Eric and Dylan and he tried to talk with his friend. He said like, hey Dylan, what are you doing? Then Dylan said, mm, I'm just killing people. Terrified, John asked if he would kill him and Dylan said, no, but run.
Get out of here now. Eric shot again, this time hitting the 15-years-old Daniel Mosser, who also died on the spot. At this time, more police cars, SWAT cars and ambulances started arriving outside. The cops decided not to invade, which may have been a mistake as perhaps they could have saved more lives. The comments that were circulating outside were that there were approximately eight shooters and because of that, the police did not enter. Dylan now shoot two older students, Austin Eubanks and Corin DePuter, both 17 years old. They didn't not die, but Eric came closer and recognized Corey. At this moment, Eric shouts something like, I hate you for everything you did to me. And then he shot. Corey died on the spot. Just afternoon, SWAT teams decided to enter the school. However, they decided to enter through the opposite door from where the boys came in. Everything was happening too fast, but maybe if they had entered through the nearest door, more lives could have been saved. At 12.08 p.m., still in the library, the shooters decided that the massacre was over. They put into action the final part of their plan, took their own lives. Both pointed their guns at themselves, did a countdown and shot. Three, two, one. Eric shot himself through the roof of the mound with his shotgun and Dylan shot himself in the head with a semi-automatic. On the other side of the building, the students were still asking for help from those outside, mailing to save Patrick's Ireland's life. The fire department decided to rescue the boy through the window. During the rescue, the fire team let the boy fall from approximately 4 meters in height, but he managed to survive. Altogether, they were 13 fatal victims of this massacre. 12 students and a teacher, and another 21 people were injured. Dylan's parents also didn't go public for years. Just 15 years after the massacre, Dylan's mother, Susan Klebold, published a book called A Mother's Reckoning, Living in the Aftermath of Tragedy. In this book, she addresses those that blamed her for her son's actions. They asked her things like, how could you not know? Or, what kind of mother were you? She wonders that even today. There are many teenagers who can show happiness and who may be depressed at the same time. Even with the family treating Dylan very well, he was quiet, but at times he also showed affection, love, and it was almost impossible to realize that Dylan needed help. But even so, she says that for years she felt guilty, not because of who she created, but because the day she saw Dylan leaving earlier, even though she thought something was strange, she didn't stop him. In the book, she still says that the most painful thing in her life was when she received the news that the school was being attacked by shooters and she felt that her son could be one of them. She started praying that he would die soon and not hurt anyone else. 
It is worth adding that she donates all the income from the book to NGOs that help teenagers with depression. After the launch of the book, she started to appear in public give interviews, in addition to participating in a TED Talk, which I very much recommend you watch. Before the shootings, I thought of myself as a good mom, helping my children become caring, healthy, responsible adults was the most important role in my life. But the tragedy convinced me that I failed as a parent, and it's partially the sense of failure that brings me here today. Aside from his father, I was the one person who knew and loved Dylan the most. If anyone could have known what was happening, it should have been me, right? But I didn't know. Today, I'm here to share the experience of what it's like to be the mother of someone who kills and hurts. Today, the legacy of the Columbine attacks still remains, with debate continuing to range on, or what causes and what can be done to stop tragic events like this. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você, venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal. 